We're coming to the end, sadly, in our journey through 1 Peter today. Peter was writing to a people who were dispersed among the nations. They were living away in exile from their homeland. And Peter wanted to encourage his readers, but he also wanted to warn them against causing unnecessary suffering. And I I spoke to you about the Hindi proverb which says, people living in water should not make an enemy of the crocodile. So Peter wanted to remind his readers. And he goes on to say in this last section, in a, it, he changes his tone. He turns from, from being talking in general terms and he turns to the people in the congregations and especially the elders at first. He turns to them and he wants to give them some instructions. Now I have to tell you, ever since I was a kid, I have loved martial arts. And so this is my Joe, and I get to use this at martial arts. And by the end of today's service, I hope you understand the phrase, beware the dirty white belt. I loved the Ninja Turtles when I was a teenager. That's why I've got the, the Joe. I know Donatello uses a bow, but anyway, I've got some other toys I might show the, the kids later that I have attained over my years of being in martial arts. When I was at high school, that was when Jackie Chan was at his peak, and I'm in like the old dubbed versions, not these new ones that he does with Hollywood. I'm in the really cool Jackie Chan movies. He came to Australia and he filmed in the old museum building near the Echo Grounds there. It was so exciting for me. I can feel that you're not as excited as I am. (laughs) Um, But about nine years ago, my children and I, we started our journey. They're so cute, aren't they? And I, I did ask permission to put that photo up this morning, but we started our journey in martial arts in, in Kempsey. And today, I'm sorry you're not as excited about martial arts as I am, because I'm going to try and share with you some, some parallels that I think that I've learned through martial arts that I'm seeing Peter talk about in this passage today. <clears throat> A couple of weeks ago, I think it was Brendan who pointed out that Peter refers to this world as Babylon. So he wrote the letter from Babylon even though he was living in Rome. And, and, and it became, Babylon became shorthand for the way of this world. So by extension, we are living in Babylon, a modern-day Babylon here in Australia. And what, is, what amazes me is that even in Babylon there exists legends of people who act according to a different way. People who are strong without the need of reverting to violence. People who are respected by everyone around them because of their wisdom and their righteous behaviour. They, they just do the right thing all the time and you notice. And also their calming presence. You know the people that can walk into a a tense situation and they bring down the temperature rather than raise it. And one such legend that I want to talk about is is Master Ip. And the movies about Master Ip are full of... They're probably exaggerated stories, I get it, because it's a legend. But they still illustrate the longing that we have that such people exist And most of you won't know who Master Ip is. Does anybody know who Master Ip is? One person. There's two people. Awesome. 
you will know Master Ip's most famous student. Do you want to say who's his most famous student? Bruce Lee. So you know Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was trained by Master Ip. And you can see that some of Bruce Lee's characteristics come from his master. Because Master Ip doesn't enter every single fight. Something that Bruce Lee had to learn early in his career. He didn't have to prove himself by fighting. Actually, if the movies are somewhat in the true realm, he actively avoids fighting at all costs and only enters a fight at the very last if it can't be avoided. Mr. Ip, or uh, Master Ip, is noble. He is wise. He knows his weaknesses. It's not that he doesn't have weaknesses and he knows his weaknesses, but he doesn't let them define him and he's merciful to his enemies. He respects his wife in such a way that people around him notice the difference in the way he treats his wife. Above all, he is a man of honour. Even when his life is at risk, he acts rightly instead of taking the easy road. He doesn't take anything that doesn't belong to him. He doesn't take bribes or anything that could be interpreted as special treatment. He gives without expectation of receiving back. This kind of person is legend in our Babylon. Someone who is not bound by the powers of Babylon but acts from a different standard, a higher standard, a standard of seeking the best in others and treating people as you would have them treat you. Does any of this stuff sound familiar? What kind of people are we called to be as followers of the way? It's as if there's some kind of longing deep within humanity, maybe put there by its creator, for this kind of person. C.S. Lewis writes, and I've summarised it up there, the Christian says creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. If I find myself, if I find within myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. It probably proves that earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it be snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. The way is to become this kind of person, to desire my true country, or as Larry Norman said, this world is not my home and live by my true country's laws wherever I am, as an exile. But the way is a journey. Much like martial arts is a journey, no one starts as a master. And Peter is directly addressing those who have been walking the way. He starts out addressing the people who have been walking the way for some time, the elders or the black belts. He says, I urge the elders among you, shepherd your flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, 
according to the will of God, and not with greed, but with eagerness, nor yet as domineering over those assigned to your care, but by proving to be an example to the flock. Those inside martial arts circles know that you don't get a black belt. You become a black belt. Being a black belt is more than your physical ability to perform techniques. Becoming a black belt requires looking after the other students, teaching them, and being an example, demonstrating self-control. A black belt does not act out of selfish ambition, and a black belt demonstrates strength of character, not merely physical strength. What Peter describes here in being an elder is some serious black belt stuff. One does not just get the title of elder in a church. One becomes an elder. An elder shepherds those in their care. And I love this analogy of shepherding because shepherding involves feeding the flock, leading the flock, protecting, rescuing, healing and comforting the flock. All of these things are what an elder does. We often use the word pastor and shepherd interchangeably these days in churches. But the shepherd used to carry two tools. And this tool reminds me of one of the tools a little bit. But it'll work for the illustration. The shepherd had a staff and it often had a crook at the top. And he had another little version of this, a little stick. It often had a little ball on the end. You know these tools. What does Psalm 23 say? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. <laughs> now, when you, when you know these two tools, you can see how they do comfort. I don't know if you've heard this illustration before, but bear with me today if you have. I'm going to tell you again. The shepherd used to walk in front of his sheep. That's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> he used to walk in front of the sheep to lead the sheep. And the shepherd would walk and they would tap. So the sheep would know where the shepherd was. And the shepherd would do this and lead them to green pastures. Where's that green pastures? Slide five. Is that, is that the sort of green pastures that the shepherd used to lead the sheep to? No, because we're talking about Israel. We're not talking about England. So <laughs> where's, where's that green pastures? Slide six. There we go. There's our green pastures. <laughs> the shepherd used to lead the sheep along little paths that the sheep would make and there would be, this is green pastures. That's as green as they come. And they would lead them until they came. They'd lead them tapping and the sheep would be listening to the tapping and they'd lead until they came to tufts of grass like this, slide seven. There we go. <laughs> Delicious. It's amazing. <laughs> And they would, have to, they would eat this tuft of grass and then they would have to listen for the shepherd again and follow the shepherd for the next tuft of grass. If the sheep got itself in trouble, the, the shepherd could use the staff with the crook to pull it out or to just lightly push it to the side. Or the rod could be used to just tap, <laughs> tap the bottom of the little sheep to, to make sure he's going on, on the path. Have you felt like God's tapped you on the bottom with his rod recently? Sometimes. <laughs> but 
the, the rod could also be used to throw it. If the sheep is further away, if you throw it beside the sheep, sheep startle easily. So you throw the rod beside the sheep, the sheep goes, ooh, back over this way, away from the rod. All of this is leading and comforting the sheep. The shepherd is always watching the sheep. It sounds too basic to say. Just as the elder is always to be watching those in their care. To be able to watch the sheep, the sheep needed the, the shepherd needed to be present. Again, it sounds too basic to say. But one cannot shepherd from a distance. The shepherd is with the sheep. Likewise, one cannot be an elder from the safety of a boardroom. Dishing out directives from afar without getting your hands dirty. What is true for the shepherd is true for the elder. They feed the church. They lead the church. They comfort the church. And this is done done not out of obligation. Not with motives of gaining something something from doing it. Not with a desire from having a title of elder. An elder is an elder out of a heart posture of service. And an elder does not insist on the obedience to commands that they might give. They don't use domineering tactics or they don't lord it over those entrusted to them, as Peter writes. But an elder is an example, living the way, so that those younger Christians can see how life works. How does this way work? And they look to the elders and they see how it works. There is no room for do what I say, not what I do attitude for an elder. It doesn't work that way. But an elder also protects. The rod, while it is used to guide the sheep, can also be used as a a weapon against predators. This gets really interesting for elders because a few weeks ago, Brendan pointed out the well-known verse, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. Brendan pointed out that this direction is given to how to respond to people who are threatening or attacking. John Dixon argues that we all know how to respond to everybody. We may not know what to say, but we know how to respond with gentleness and respect. Our rod is not made of hardwood like a shepherd's rod. Our rod is made of gentleness and respect. <laughs> I find that, that whole image in my head is, it's playing with me at the moment, so I've still got that one in my head, trying to work out how do I protect a flock of people and do so out of a heart posture of gentleness and respect. Because being an elder, a shepherd, a pastor, one day maybe black belt, <laughs> requires self-control and a control that I just yeah boggles the mind because <laughs> this is some serious black belt level stuff of self-control but that is the way an elder is present they lead by example they are patient they comfort and they respond even to those who attack with gentleness and respect the fact that people like this are legend even in Babylon master Ip is just like this is amazing. But there are no shortcuts when walking the way. 
There is a huge danger when we talk about this idea of eldership. It attracts the wrong kind of people. It attracts the kind of people who like to be up front, who like to be noticed, who can do the stuff that looks hard. But it's actually some of the, the basic stuff. In other words, they want to take a shortcut. They want the recognition of being an elder without doing the walking, without walking the way. Now many of you know that a couple of weeks ago I had the opportunity to grade for my first, my first brown belt. It's the baby brown belt, but it's a brown belt. I'm not showing you this to show off. I'm showing you this for another reason. But this is what I had to do at the end of the day. So that is me. The blocks are real. They weren't pre-cut. And it does look pretty impressive. But out of everything I did that day, I'm going to be honest with you, that was the most impressive thing to look at and yet one of the easiest things to do. Sure, not everyone can do that. I have seen people not get through all of the bricks. I've seen people get through nine or ten bricks. But the things that look less impressive can be far more important. So I've also done this. In a previous grading, I did this. Slide 11. Impressive. Look at the impressiveness of that. Just astounding. Does it look like I'm doing anything at all? <laughs> no. <laughs> to be honest, that's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. So what's happening there is I am moving very slowly, keeping every muscle in my body tense. Do you know how I was tested to see if every muscle in my body was tense? That man in the black, my instructor, would punch or kick or hit me on different muscles to check. <laughs> and he would know straight away <laughs> if every muscle in my body was tense. And I can tell you most of the time it wasn't. So where are we? Slide 11. Okay, so slide 12. That's not impressive, but it's very hard work. Part of my grading is always to do this. A couple of weeks ago I had to stand like this for 30 minutes. And towards the end, they used to, in Kempsey, they used to put a small child on your shoulders. That child weighed a lot more than she looks like she weighs. Does this look impressive? Not really. But it's hard work. I couldn't walk until Thursday after the Saturday grading. <laughs> sparring, too. Sparring's pretty cool. It sounds cool. You get to fight people, right? Sounds really cool. I, I watched too many rounds of sparring in my lifetime. It looks... It doesn't look impressive. But I had to spar 12... What do we got? Oh, no, that's the next one anyway. We'll keep that slide up. That's not sparring. But sparring is where you're actually fighting people. I had to do 20 rounds and I nearly died. I barely made it through the 20 rounds. My friend had to... My friend who's the one in the back there, he had to do 50 rounds. And for those who are saying this is a young man's game, he's in his 50s. My sensei back in Kempsey, he got his first black belt when he was 64. So it's not a young man's game. Sparring sounds impressive, and it's, but it's, it's absolutely impossible to do. It's really hard to do. This one here, a large part of being a part of a martial arts school is, is doing katas, which is doing the same thing over and over again. 
Because the only way you get better at doing something is by doing it. And you do these katas thousands of times over the years. My point is simply this. There are many things that people can, be, can do to be noticed in martial arts and an elder. You can break blocks. You can preach well. You can be the one up the front all the time. But the hard stuff goes unseen. And it's this unseen stuff that is the core of being a black belt. And the same is true of being an elder. There are people who do some pretty impressive looking things and want to be known as an elder. But they're not interested in doing the hard work, the unseen stuff. What makes an elder is actually doing the unseen work. Now lastly, before I finish up, there is a saying in the martial arts world. Beware the dirty white belt. The dirty white belt is the person who has been around for a long time. They have been learning and training but never going through the, the process of grading. Never trying to gain the title of a black belt. They've done all the hard work and they know what they're doing. This has resulted in a white belt being very dirty because it's very old. And for the unsuspecting coloured belt, they can be their undoing. Because the unsuspecting coloured belt can go, I have a purple belt, I will spar you. Why am I in the ground now? Because the dirty white belt may not have the title, but they know what they're doing and they have done the hard work. I believe that elders need to be a dirty white belt. There are many dirty white belts here at Kwan Life and I toyed with the idea of going to the martial arts store, buying some white belts and rubbing them in the dirt <laughs> and handing them out. But you can see that that completely undoes my message that giving you a title <laughs> is not what being a dirty white belt is about. But many of you are dirty white belts. You don't seek recognition for it because that's what it means to serve. And I believe that dirty, being a dirty white belt is the way of the kingdom. Some people will gain recognition of being an elder in title, but that's not the important bit. The important bit is the hard work that goes in behind the scenes. Peter writes to the elders among the dispersed, shepherd the flock among you, exercising oversight, not, un, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, to the will of God, and not with greed, but with eagerness nor yet as domineering over those assigned to your care by providing to be examples, by proving to be examples to the flock. Peter continues his instruction and turns briefly to the younger members of the church. In the same way you who are younger submit yourselves to the elders, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards the other because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. When there are elders who are behaving this way, who are leading and serving and protecting and comforting the flock, Peter says, submit yourselves to these people. These elders, men and women, who are living the way, you younger people can only learn how to do this by doing. And how do you learn by doing? Look at these guys, because they're doing it. Like a white belt can only become a black belt by doing. Peter says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. 
do we really think that he's only talking to the younger people in the congregations? All of you clothe yourselves with humility. Clothing ourselves with humility is some of the hardest work we need to do as followers of the way. I think he's talking to everyone, young and old. Humility is that unseen hard work I just spoke about. When you humble yourself like the dirty white belt, the chief shepherd, Jesus, will lift you up. It has to be this way. A humble person cannot wake up one day and say, today I have reached humility. Because as soon as those words exit your mouth, you have undone them. Followers of the way have always suffered. Walking the way is hard. But Jesus is walking right there beside us. Peter says we are to cast our anxieties onto him. Be alert because the devil will attack. Know the way and walk in it, even when the world is going the other way. But always walk in humility, always speaking with gentleness and respect. What I find amazing in this passage is if there is anyone who could claim that they are greater than other people, it would be the man who is dictating this to be written down. Peter was there with Jesus from very early on. Peter was with Jesus in some of the most intimate times. If anyone could say, hey, I am a black belt, look at me. Peter does not do any such thing. Peter says I, he calls himself a co-elder. He puts him on the same level as the others. John Calvin notes, if he had a right to primacy, he would have claimed it. And this would have been most suitable on the present occasion. But although he was an apostle, he knew that the authority over his colleagues was by no means delegated to him, but that on the contrary, he was joined with the others in the sharing of the role of leadership. Martin Luther too says, and here St. Peter humbles himself. He does not say that he is an overlord, although he could have done so. Since he was an apostle of Christ, he calls himself not only a fellow elder, but also one of the Christians who must suffer. Peter calls the church leaders, the elders of the church, not to make claims of special authority or titles or fame, but to do the way of shepherding. A way that reflects the kind of leadership or servantship that we see in our chief shepherd, Jesus. The elder among us is a dirty white belt.